Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny interviews certified wellness expert and author Jovanka Sierras about her new book, Reclaiming Wellness. So listen in as they discuss the multicultural roots of a wide variety of popular health trends, as well as the diversity and inclusion problem in modern wellness. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives. You can find those at 1150 kknw.com on the station's website. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Uh, Benny, how are you doing this morning? Doing awesome. I am ready for today's <laughs> for <what>? show. <laughs> We've been needing this. <laughs> We've had a lot going on in the last few years. Yes. Let's do this. I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. That yeah. was a huge setup, by the way. Uh, well, I'm, if you're I'm, just tuning in. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, I will uh, take, like, catch the ball you just lobbed at me, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> was, that, was that served up that fairly I mean? nicely for you? Okay. Yeah, did I get that okay. terminology that right? Been real good. Well, well played. For that, yeah. you get a little bit of an applause. You know what? There you go. <laughs> He's always on it with the sound effects. Okay, so it sounds like it's time to bring on our guest. So I will tell you a little bit about her. And I'm really excited because um, we have a, a New World Library author with us today, which, as you all know, I love New World Library. While I lived in Petaluma, I shared um, geography with not only where New, Libra- New World Library is located, but also um, my absolute favorite publicist there. Uh, Kim Skipper Corbin. Um, so she always sends some wonderful authors our way. Um, but yes, yeah, she lived in Petaluma and we got to hang out and meet each other and all that good stuff. So always will have a soft place in my heart for New World Library and the wonderful books and authors that they bring to the world. So today is no different. We've got another wonderful author. Um, her name is Jovanka Ciaras, and she is the author of Reclaiming Wellness and several other titles. She's a certified wellness expert, integrative herbalist, nutrition educator, and coach, and she offers lectures and workshops in Spanish and English. Ciaras studied nutrition with the best-selling author T. Colin Campbell, Ph.D., at his Center for Nutrition Studies in partnership with Cornell University. She also studied herbalism, plant medicine uh, with Tierra Ona Lodog, M.D., uh, she's a native of Puerto Rico, and she now lives in Los Angeles. Oh, I'm, I have to apologize. I cut and pasted your bio in this morning and somehow skipped over the part that you live in Los Angeles, and I asked you where you are from. Like, that could not have been more obvious, Javonka, <laughs> so my apologies. That is not a problem at all. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you her website and, of course, the name that we're talking about, uh, the name of the book that we'll be talking about here today. So the website to find out more about Javonka is jovankacrs.com. I'm going to spell that for you a couple times. J-O-V-A-N-K-A. And the last name is C-A-R. Sorry, let me try again. C-I-A-R-E-S. So that's jovankacrs.com. And the book is Reclaiming Wellness. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, we had a fun conversation before going on air. So I always love it when... um, 
you know, connect with folks who have, I've lived in LA before. And so hearing about your experience moving from New York to LA, <laughs> but do you mind sharing, you know, you said, you know what, the United States is not home for me, like permanently <laughs> anyway. So say a little bit more about your background and why that is. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. And uh, I had what I now believe to be a very idyllic childhood, you know, in touch with nature. I, I lived 15 minutes away from the rainforest. Mm -hmm. We were 20 minutes from the ocean. We ate foods that were, you know, accessible and grown in the backyard and the mango tree from the neighbor and, and my grandmother's um, beautiful remedies. We can talk about that later, yeah. but and then I moved to the United States uh, to study and to follow dreams. And I love New York, don't get me wrong. It was fantastic <laughs> until I didn't. And then I eventually <laughs> moved to LA. Awesome. Yes. So you don't identify as one coast or the other. Like I always hear, you know, you're either West Coast or East Coast. You're kind of both. <laughs> no, I love they all have their pros and cons. Absolutely. Well, so I was reading in your book, um, and I guess it's the, the epigraph, the nice little dedication you have at the beginning, and it says, to you, the reader and wellness seeker, and to the healers of your ancestry who live through you. So why don't we just dive in by me asking, you know, what is the importance of ancestors as you see it, and why is that such a focus in the book? Yeah, you know, the idea behind the focus specifically on ancestry stemmed from the beginning of the pandemic when we were all tethered to our screens and looking at these horrible statistics and people with comorbidities struggling uh, with a disease that would otherwise not kill somebody that would be relatively young or healthy. Mm -hmm. And you started to hear stories about how people of color, black and brown people were struggling with this disease more than the general population. Mm -hmm. And people were wondering why. And we could obviously extrapolate as to the reasons why, but I realized that we had moved away from the practices of our ancestry that kept us well, that prevent us from getting diseases that are now killing us, what we know today as diseases of the modern era. Mm -hmm. And so I set out to write a book that got people excited mm -hmm. and inspired to reclaim the practices of their ancestry with the understanding that most of these really popular wellness practices today stem from what we know today as multicultural communities. And if we can reclaim those practices, hopefully we can also reclaim our state of wellness. Yes. Gosh, that's so well put. And I, I'm just going to read, uh, uh, this is a quote that kind of piggybacks on what you were just saying or speaks to that. This is from the book, Reclaiming Wellness. Um, Ciaris writes, some of today's most popular wellness practices can trace their history to parts of the world and cultures historically populated by people of color. Every society has pursued wellness, and as a woman of color living in the United States, one of my goals is to share this multicultural history and to encourage all people, but especially people of color, to embrace the knowledge and wisdom of their particular ancestry and heritage. To me, owning your history is a part of owning your health and creating your own personal wellness journey. Um, so I'm curious, looking back at your particular ancestry and lineage, what are some of the practices that are the most meaningful that you've pulled forward? Yeah. In the book, I talk about my grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, her name was Mami Eva, and she was the first herbalist in our family, certainly the first one that I met. Mm -hmm. And as an herbalist today, it's one of those practices that I hold very near and dear to my heart. 
uh, she was she didn't call herself an herbalist, but every time somebody had some sort of ache or pain, she would disappear to either her kitchen or her backyard and will come back with some sort of concoction and she would feed it to you. You didn't question it. You just trusted. <laughs> and between her love and her remedies, we were healthy. We were happy kids. And so now that I have been trained in, in using plants as medicine, I now recognize the value in, in her wisdom and, and the wisdom of the ages. Yes. So I know you, you call it, how did you, how did you put it? You said you had, your body gave you a, a smackdown in your 20s, I think is how you put it. So, so you grow up in this idyllic setting. You had very healthy whole foods and, and exposure to all of the, you know, the sunshine and the ocean and all of nature. And, and then in your 20s, it sounds like you developed, or maybe it was developing over a course of time, some really um, uncomfortable, serious issues, you know, IBS, fibroids, um, and I'm, I can't remember what else, but tell us a little bit about um, what happened in your body that was kind of that smackdown or wake-up call for you that, that prompted you to really start pulling from these wellness traditions. Yeah, I, like most 20-somethings, thought that I was invisible, invincible mm -hmm. and, you know, I looked relatively uh, fit and healthy, but I was in pain almost every day. I had moved away from home-cooked meals and whole foods and live foods mm -hmm. and instead embraced a lot of, what, 20-somethings that don't have a lot of money eat, right? Like mm -hmm. pizza and fast foods. And I consider those to be a blessing in disguise. I had IBS, I had endometriosis, fibroids, and ulcers. And um, eventually, I, I was like, I can't. I went to doctors. I, I did millions of studies. Western medicine didn't have any solutions for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at, at 25, somebody telling you there's nothing that we could do for you. You can take a pill and just struggle with this for the rest mm -hmm. of your life was not an acceptable answer. So I went elsewhere. I went back to the way I was eating originally. And even from there, even changed my diet further and embraced a lot of whole foods, embraced, uh, you know, alternative traditions like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. And slowly but steadily, my body reacted and started to heal. And so that became a big passion in my life. Yeah. So how long from the time when you started making those changes to the time when you really have reversed those conditions that you just mentioned, um, how long was that total journey? So that was a great and interesting question because people ask me that question oh, a lot yeah? my clients, because in this society, we're so used to, we want instant gratification, right. right? Like we want a pill that solves all our problems. Right. And this is one of the reasons why I love uh, plant medicine so much is because it, it's very easy for you to take in a natural remedy that will help you reduce symptoms. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, from a symptomatic point of view, I started feeling better almost immediately mm -hmm. in a matter of just a few weeks I was feeling like myself again but it took years of changing my diet and lifestyle and embracing some of the practices that I mentioned in the book to truly have a long-term steady change that made me feel like I was well again right that, that was one of the things that stood out this is this is a total um lifestyle uh adoption it seems like there are so many areas in fact you you've identified in the book seven wellness concepts all of which you use um would you say any one of them moved the needle 
more than another, or was it the combination you think that that moved the needle? I would say that changing my diet to a whole foods, plant-based diet and mm-hmm. using plant medicine. So Ayurvedic remedies, traditional Chinese medicine and Western mm-hmm. herbalism were the ones that made the biggest impact, mm-hmm. uh, certainly physiologically. And when I went back to doctors and got retested and everybody was like, well, we don't see any of the markers for any of these diseases. What have you been doing? Like, are you a miraculous child? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I've just been, let me tell you what I've been doing. And so it opened the eyes, not just mine, but also hopefully of a lot of the doctors that I was visiting at the time. Yeah, I always, that is one of the questions I always want to ask because I interview a lot of people who have had radical remissions or they do, they are studying radical remissions or they've had, they have used, uh, you know, integrative, alternative, holistic practices. And then, you know, the, the doctor that they originally saw that said, there's nothing we can do maybe take a pill to suppress a symptom, but you're going to have this condition for life or or cancer, you know, you are, you're headed for, I mean, you know, this is, this is the end, it's terminal. And I always want to ask, did you go back to the doctor and like shake their shoulders and say, look at what I did? Like, this is what it really works. (laughs) I always want that. I told you so moment with the doctor. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, it's a little bit heartbreaking because Western medicine is very good at keeping us alive, right? right? Like mending bones, putting us back together, but they're not very good at the holistic part of us. Right. And I do wholeheartedly believe that we, we first of all, we, you are an expert in you, yes. right? So when you go to a doctor, you can't go with a passive attitude. You need to go in there letting them know, I am here to have a partnership with you. Yes. But at the same time, it's all about recognizing that they Western medicine can only take you so far and it's up to us to take the rest of these practices and and make us whole. Yes, yes. And one of the things that, um, you know, when I was asking about what moved the needle and you mentioned um, a couple of the things that really stood out, that the plant-based diet as well as the herbalism. And one of the quotes that really stood out to me, okay, uh, this is from the book, Reclaiming Wellness. She writes, I've often wondered why we worry so much about terrorism and natural disasters when the standard American diet is what we should fear the most. And I'm just (laughs) curious, you know, your thoughts on I know and I've talked to a lot of wonderful doctors on the show, too. I don't mean to give Western medicine too much of a bad rap. I just sometimes when I get so frustrated when a doctor that that I've interviewed someone and the doctor is very dismissive one, you know, doesn't want to hear about other things that they're doing. And I know that's not the case for all doctors. It's there's wonderful in in both sides of this. Anyway, but it just blows my mind that in medical school that apparently there's only just the very smallest portion of nutrition that's being taught. And so I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like yeah. what the dearth of nutrition education for the folks that are treating our bodies. <laughs> Truly flabbergasting. Uh, We have all been indoctrinated, not just the public, but the medical community, right? They're the ones that have been taught to be, we have all been taught to believe that these people, once they have a a white coat, they're demigods and you don't ever question them. And so that's part of the reason why they get a little defensive. But I always tell people, you know, if you buy a Maserati, and you take it to a mechanic and you say to that mechanic, I need you to give me the best oil for this car, this $300,000 car. And that mechanic tells you, I, I don't know, just whatever oil you want, just go to the store and buy whatever it is. 
you will call him a charlatan and will move away as fast as you can. How is it that we accept the fact that we go to a doctor who are experts in a machine called the body Mm -hmm. and we tell them what is the best food, what is the best fuel for this amazing machine? And they cannot answer that question. Yeah, yeah. We should all be outraged about that and make a change at a a systemic level so that doctors can go out there and get trained in nutrition studies and others. Right. Yeah. I I could not agree more. I was reading a book um, not too long ago, not someone that I've interviewed, but um, the gentleman was later diagnosed with celiac and some other things. And he was like, by the end of his treatment, they were, they were recommending that his colon be removed completely. Like there was nothing they could do. And fortunately he recovered and had a full healing, but the doctor was just telling him, no, nutrition's not going to affect any of this condition. And here this man was celiac and had these like lesions in his intestines. He's like, don't worry about what you're eating. Just keep eating oh Wonder Bread, I think was what he said to him. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yes. There is just an, an incredible amount of pain and suffering that could be avoided if we were just a little bit more um, open to the idea. Yes, and which is why folks like you are so important in in our journey of complementing what we are getting from, you know, maybe the more mainstream sources that are not the full picture of what is going to be total wellness for, you know, um, for a human body. Um, so w- one of the things that I think that, that distinguishes your book and your work um, is that you have really, um, you want to highlight that the problem within the wellness industry, the mainstream wellness industry, that there is a diversity and inclusion problem there. And I'm, I would love to hear you speak to what you see happening there and what you are inspired to change and transform there. Yeah, I'll start by telling you, you know, I've been in wellness as a professional for a little bit over 10 years, but as a, as, as a person interested in the process for 20 or 25, and the first time I would go to con- conferences or yoga classes, I was often the only person of color in, in those classes. And it is a combination of of issues, right? And we can talk about those in, in, more, in more detail. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the bottom line is rather than being too concerned about the reality, let's just recognize that these practices belong to all of us, not just to the homogeneous groups that you see mm-hmm. in, say, yoga classes, which tend to, the, the, the wellness industry tend to cater very much to mostly females, mostly white, mostly wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And there are ways in which other people can embrace some of these practices without being too concerned about socioeconomic issues. Is, are these practices going to be too expensive? Am I going to have the time? Do I have the, the money to actually go and buy big fancy supplements or go and travel to retreats? What can we do? And so I always talk about it from a dual perspective. The perspective of those people that are considered multicultural, let's just learn about these these practices, let's reclaim them, Let's, let's, let's honor them as part of our lineage and use them as a way to honor our lineage. But then for those people who own the spaces, uh, those people that are considered in the um, dominant caste, if you will, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, 
if you are the ones that own this space, let's open this space. What can you do to bring in a more diverse community into your spaces? And it might vary depending on the situation. Perhaps you're the owner of a yoga studio and it might mean that you might want to offer yoga classes for free or for low cost. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you want to open a studio in the inner cities and train those people in those, in those parts of town to become yogis and practitioners so that they can then bring a better, more diverse community. So there's a lot that we can do. This is just one example, but there's a ton that we can do if we truly want to recognize the idea that we the community the collective needs to be well in order for us to be well yes that idea of wellness in in sight of us can send a ripple effect out into the general community and that actually i'll just dive in here one of the seven wellness concepts that you address a section of the book is on uh, music and community and i could you speak a little bit about uh, the Ubuntu philosophy, what that is and why that factors into what you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. So Ubuntu is an African philosophy. It was actually popularized by uh, Nelson Mandela um, and at the end of the apartheid movement as a way for reconciliation and healing. So Ubuntu is a concept, it's actually widespread all over Africa, but it believes that we, I am because we are. Mm. And so we cannot, I cannot be well, I cannot be whole unless the, the community, the collective is actually whole. And it was popularized as a way for the people in South Africa to find a way to come together at the end of the apartheid movement, mm -hmm. right? Something as aggressive as that system Mandela and his people realized we cannot govern, we cannot truly move forward by just doing eye for an eye, right? right? And in today's world, especially in places like North America, where we have such a divide that happens to, to be more obvious among race, I believe is a practice that can truly help us heal and help us understand that we can see each other we can see ourselves in other people, especially those people that we disagree with. Yes. And you write about, I, I don't know if you want to share or not, but just to frame up, I'd like to share a quote from the book on the, the Ubuntu philosophy as you applied it in your own life. When you arrived in New York, um, you had not, I think you write about your very first experience of overt directed at you racism. And it was a very painful experience. And, and in processing that, um, that's the context in which this quote, if, if you don't mind sharing this quote, or I'm going to read this quote, um, you write that in the aftermath of this painful experience, as I learned more about what it means to be a black Latina woman living in the United States, I kept coming across the principles of Ubuntu, this philosophy and its principles of kindness, compassion, and empathy among others helped me heal my wounds and smile again. They helped me realize that healing my emotional wounds and raising my vibration to a positive state are instrumental for my own health, well-being, and longevity. They reminded me that if I want to be a vessel for education and change, I myself need to practice its principles in my life. I must learn to recognize the inherent good in all people, even in those who don't recognize or honor that in me. Some mm. people may never be ready to embrace the Ubuntu philosophy, but that shouldn't stop me or anyone from embracing this amazing viewpoint. I just thought that was the most powerful quote, I think, that I pulled for, at least to me, uh, for the show today. And I, I don't know if there's anything you want to unpack, 
uh, unpack from that or comment on about that? Yeah, it's it. Listen, when you are in the middle of 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 in the eye of the storm, in the middle of the painful experience, it's very hard. It's a lot harder to recognize that. The beauty of humanity is that we have an ability to, to heal. Mm-hmm. We have an ability to, to process things and how you process that is important, not only for your own healing, but for the healing of the community as a whole. And I keep talking about community because we it is incredibly important that we recognize that we are part of a whole. Mm-hmm. Right? We want to heal for us, but we want to heal also for the people around us, the people that love us, our parents, our partners, our children. And that's what, what led me to, to that process. I was like, I'm not going to be happy for myself and I'm not going to be able to be happy for others. Uh, and, and eventually that will, that will cause problems in my life and my relationships so I wanted to and and it took time don't get me wrong Mm. but it it was once I was able to incorporate it and I still do when I when you see stuff in the news that (laughs) life is getting harder and harder Mm. you will go back to some of those principles and it's um it it helps you in in more ways than one yes and, and since we're talking about community, um, one of the things that I think it's important to mention, this is one of the things that's really been standing out to me. And I think it, it became especially evident when folks were isolated during the pandemic. Not everyone had a family at home or a, even a community that you could just go walk in a park and maybe see some people. Um, the, the, I think it's important to mention the negative effects of loneliness and how important it is to cultivate community in any way that we can. And I'll just read, this is another quote from the book. Um, I'm fascinated by this research. This is just one piece of it. A study involving over 300,000 people found that a lack of strong relations increased premature death from all causes by a whopping 50%, an effect similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So you can be as try and be as healthy as possible in all other areas. But if you don't have community, apparently that has a detrimental effect far exceeding any physical causes. (laughs) If you're lonely, if you're, if you are in community, but you're angry and Mm. alienating yourself from those people, if you feel like the world is against you somehow, I mean, you see it in the news, you see all these young people aggressively attacking others and causing a lot of pain. It's because they're in pain themselves. Yes. And it's critical. I mean, I actually believe as much as I love my plants and my foods, I actually believe that uh, it's, have it's only half the battle and that community portion is critical absolutely yes and you have some wonderful suggestions in the book um and and just while we're still talking about since we're on that why did you include music with the community you say music and community so why did you decide to link those two together i believe that music is is the quintessential healing tool Right. We have been exposed to music or to rhythm since we were in utero. So we, you know, music is to me one of the few things that we can do that invokes every emotion in the human experience. So it could actually help us emote and help us get things out and also help us um, heal. And what better way to practice and engage in music than doing it in community? And by the way, even if you are alone enjoying music, you're never truly alone. You're there with those musicians 
yeah. that performed that song or that piece and that recorded it for you. So know that you're never truly alone when you truly enjoy music. Yes. And, and also just for the fun factoid that I didn't realize it, but you included some information on um, listening to certain types of music can actually increase dopamine and lower stress hormones. I, I didn't, I don't think I ever realized there was an actual chemical effect. I thought like vibrationally, yes, but the chemical just, I don't know. I'd never seen that before. Truly fascinating. I mean, today in modern medicine, we use music therapy yeah. as a modality to help people struggling with whatever conditions and help them heal. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so um, so before we dive into some of the more, um, the, the wellness concepts, the seven wellness concepts that you identify and walk folks through, um, I want to ask, you know, you'd mentioned early on in the show, during the pandemic, we saw the people that were dying uh, at the highest rates of COVID, but they had the comorbidities that you mentioned. And uh, many of those comorbidities are associated with obesity. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I'm curious from where you sit, how do we talk about this issue around weight and some of the problems that it causes without dipping into um, fat shaming and, and recognizing that there can be health at many sizes? Oh, absolutely. You know, we don't, it goes back to that whole idea of, of being well and at a mental and spiritual level. Mm-hmm. We're not going to affect change to with, with anybody by fat shaming or telling people like, well, you should be doing this and not doing that. And let me tell you, like, this is not the way it is. Uh, also, this society for the last maybe what, maybe 150 years, we have had a different idea of what healthy looks like and it's that whole idea that if you're super skinny and have no curves that means that you're healthy and nothing mm-hmm. could be farther from the truth right you right. could have you can be very very skinny and be undernourished yes so to me it's less about the way you look and more about the way you feel Mm-hmm. And the relationship that you have with what you see in the mirror, but also with the choices that you make every single day. One of the things that I talk about in the book is that wellness is a concept that has different definitions for different people. But to me, it's, it's an active verb. It's the daily actions, the daily choices that I make to help me restore balance with the understanding that that may take several months, maybe several years, if you're struggling with a disease or with obesity or whatever it is that you're struggling with. But slowly as you educate yourself, you make daily choices that will help you restore balance. And to me, that is practicing wellness. Yes. And I'm so glad I, I meant to, before we even, to, to frame up our conversation, I'd, I had in my notes to ask you to please define wellness. So thank you <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I completely forgot. Um, yeah. So um, and and as you were talking about these changes that people would make, one of the things um, that I'm kind of jumping ahead here to the very end where uh, you talk about really your reclaiming wellness method for incorporating all these these seven wellness concepts and all of that falls under that umbrella. One of the ideas there that I thought was really ingenious is reduce and replace. So if you've got someone that needs to make big, big, big changes, and you know, you need a lot of changes in a lot of areas, how, what is reduce and replace? And how, what is an example of that, that someone could use even today? 
Yeah. So it is these, after years of working with clients as a coach and an educator, I started to realize we're not going to change quickly, right? It takes us 21 to 28 days to build a new habit. We know that for a fact. In addition, we know that uh, we don't like voids. Humans don't like space. We like to fill them with things or with thoughts or ideas. So instead of just telling somebody, you know, I need you to quit whatever it is, soda, let's say, for example, cold turkey, that's going to be a very hard thing for somebody that's addicted to soda or that has a dependency. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, if you tell somebody just remove, completely reduce your soda intake, it's going to leave a big void. And that void is going to be filled with something Mm -hmm. that's going to give us um, nourishing or at least make us feel nourished even if it's at a, at a, on a short-term basis. Right. So instead, if you are somebody that's trying to reduce your so- soda uh, consumption and say you take four or five cups a day, what I need you to do is on days one, two, and three, for example, you want to reduce that by one cup mm-hmm. and replace that with something really yummy. Perhaps it could be like an herbal tea, it could be iced or hot, perhaps infuse water or something healthier, maybe a bowl of fruit, which is full of water as well. Mm -hmm. And you'll do that for a few days and perhaps you check on yourself, listen to your body's conversation, find out how you feel when you're doing that. And then on day six or seven, you reduce that a little bit further and you replace that with something else. Mm -hmm. And you do that day after day for about 21 to 28 days. Chances are at the end of those 28 days, you have built a new habit And chances are that habit is really healthy and good for you. Yes. And I have to say, I, I, I did not have your book yet, but one of the things that I was like, oh, this does work because I did a small version of this in my life. And because I used to want something sweet after a meal. And so maybe it would be like a cookie, which is not good, even if it's made with, you know, organic, whatever. It's still not the best thing to be having at the end of the meal. And I now I have these little tiny mint patties that are made with dark chocolate and honey and peppermint, and that's it. And so I substituted that for the cookie, and I still feel that sense of, like, sweetness after the meal, but it's at a lot healthier level, so I'll use that. Like, if anyone out there wants to adopt that, it's a nice peppermint. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so I don't – we probably – I'm looking at our time and we're not going to be able to unpack all of the seven wellness concepts, nor should we, because people need to buy the book to be able to get the full picture anyway. But I'll just read what the seven wellness concepts are. And then we can talk a little bit about a few of these because you've got some wonderful, not only um, your own story, but your wisdom and lots of really cool science that some of these things I had not come across before. So anyway, there's a lot there in each of these. So Um, Of these seven wellness concepts, these are areas that um, it sounds like you feel are the most popular or impactful in the modern wellness industry. So these include plants that help us heal, going within, yoga and other forms of movement, a plant-based diet, oil, water, and heat, music and community, and finally, grounding in nature. Um, So I'll just start, since you say healing plants, that's your favorite topic these days. And it sounds like this is something you love to work with. You've mentioned it several times. So like, what do we need to know about uh, plants that help us heal? What the first thing that you need to know is that every single culture around the world has used plants to help us heal. And so we might call them traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Western herbalism, 
shamanism, whatever you want to call them, it is still the use of plants to help us affect a thing in the body and eventually heal. The second and most important thing is that the safety data, the studies behind a lot of these plants, especially the most popular ones, is very strong and is, is ubiquitous. So you can mm -hmm. easily find it and recognize that they're very, very safe for you to use. And finally, number three is that they're inexpensive and they mm -hmm. make you feel amazing relatively quickly. So we can utilize them in many different ways and start feeling their effect. In some cases, it takes a few days, but in some others, it could take as little as 20 minutes for you to feel better. Like, could you give us an example, maybe one that was impactful for you that made a difference in a short amount of time? Oh, God, so many. I'll tell you one that I haven't mentioned in a while, and it's ashwagandha. Mm -hmm. Ashwagandha is a plant that grows in, in parts of India and Southeast Asia. It's very popular in, in Ayurvedic medicine. I call it India marijuana. <laughs> it's perfectly legal, and, uh, but it is an adaptogenic plant. So it helps you adapt to stressful circumstances. Yeah. And I normally take about 20 drops on a tincture. Mm. You can also take it in tea form and in pills, but I love my tinctures. Mm. So I take about 20 drops when I'm feeling really overwhelmed and stressed out. Almost like when my heart is about to come out of my chest, I'm so stressed out. Yeah. I take it, I give it, I don't know, five, 10 minutes and I feel amazing. And it, you can use it two or three times a day as a tonic as well. So it's actually safe to use regularly. It's, mm, it's yummy. It's wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. I know that was one that you mentioned in the book. I remember in the, then you gave some wonderful charts to really help people formulate, you know, a, 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 a plan for the next week or the 21 day plan if they want to implement that. And I know ashwagandha factored into you have teas. I think that was what you, yeah. yeah. In tea, mostly because tea is the easiest way for most people. You can find them in regular supermarkets or in your uh -huh. local health food store. Chances are you'll be able to find teas. If you happen to have a little bit, you're, you're a little bit more, you know, curious about things, you can try tinctures. Mm -hmm. You can try them in pill, in pill form or in powder form as well. Awesome. Yeah. And since you, you mentioned you called it Indian marijuana, uh, or India marijuana. Um, so what are your thoughts? You know, you and I live in states where this is legal now, cannabis, um, traditional cannabis. Um, what are your thoughts on that as a plant that heals? Like, do mm. you recommend its use? If so, a lot, a little, what? It's an incredible botanical that unfortunately we are only now embracing and, and utilizing for our benefit. Mm -hmm. And it's a little sad that so many people around the world still cannot access it because we could really reduce pain and suffering for a lot of people. It's a truly powerful plant. Um, it, we have all these neural pathways in our bodies that help that, that interact with cannabis to help us heal. So if we are, if you happen to be in a state or in a country where, where cannabis is legal, you can utilize it in many, many ways. Um, smoking, I personally don't recommend smoking because it could also increase inflammation, especially of the respiratory system. But there, today you can find it in so many other ways. You can use it in gummies. Uh, you can make teas, you can make tinctures. I make tinctures myself and yeah. share them with clients. It is the one critical thing when it comes to cannabis is that 
it depends on what you need it for. Right. Are you trying to reduce pain and inflammation or are you using it for uh, sleep as a sleep aid or mm-hmm. to reduce issues of the neuro the neurological system and so you might need a little bit of help navigating the kind of products that you want to consume if depending on your particular health situation yeah that makes sense yeah I feel very blessed that we live in a state where and you as well where that is legal and we can finally see some of the benefits because it just it just blows my mind that alcohol which is basically diluted ethanol like that is that is over the counter everywhere yes (laughs) somehow we just we're (laughs) fine with it oh anyway we're we're working to change things thank thank, you particularly (laughs) thank goodness for people like you bringing the good stuff to a wider audience so um, let's see what were, I want to pick some of these where I really wanted, there were a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about specifically. Oh yeah. So you studied with Dr. T Colin Campbell and, um, and this is under the, the concept of a plant-based diet. Cause you've mentioned that one as well. That was another biggie for you. So I'm curious, you know, what, tell me about some, I know he was, he and his son were famous for the China study, um, and some other things like what did you what was the benefit of studying with him? What did you most learn and tell us about plant based diet? Yeah. So the China study is the largest nutrition study ever conducted. It's mm-hmm. called the China study because they went to China. They wanted a, a really large population that fit the same Uh, mold from a genetic point of view. So they wanted to take away the gene pool part of the equation and study people. And they follow people for about 40 years, just telling them, just live your life the way you normally live. And just simply tell us how have you been eating for these 30 or 40 years. And they discovered that people that ate mostly plants, not only lived longer, but they didn't struggle with diseases of the modern era, quote unquote, diseases like heart disease and cancer and, uh, you know, diabetes and others. And so then they took that study and started to question why is it that animal protein is causing issues or protein is causing issues. So they took it to the lab and they used casein, which is the largest amount of protein found in milk. Mm-hmm. They realized that when we, when, when that protein is inside our bodies or in the bodies of, of mice and eventually humans, they realized that it could promote cancerous growth, especially mm-hmm. when carcinogens were present. So extrapolate that to human life where we are all exposed to carcinogens. There's nothing we yeah. can do about that. Yeah. And we started, they started to realize when you consume a lot of milk, a lot of animal protein, it causes this acidic environment, this inflamed environment that eventually could lead to the promotion of diseases like cancer. And so at the end of the day, we all realized in, in this study where they realized that a plant-based diet was the best way to prevent disease. Yeah. And you even go into, this is another thing that I, uh, more fun factoids that I was not familiar with, um, talking about how our bodies are designed, let's say a human being, um, while we eat a lot of meat, especially in the West. Um, so let's say a human being versus a cat who are clearly designed to be carnivores. Like there are certain things in our digestive tracts in our, I mean, you can tell by our teeth too, I guess that you talk about that, but 
Can you speak a little bit about how that is, like what it is about human beings that's not designed quite the same way as, say, a carnivore cat? <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you said it very well, right? If you look at your biology, your teeth are, are flat. They're not designed to rip meat or, mm -hmm. or flesh. We don't have claws. We need tools. We need to also process the meat in order for them to, for it to be palatable. But once it gets inside our bodies, the parts that we don't see are the parts that are the most fascinating. <sighs> we don't have the same amount of enzymes. We do have enzymes that allow us to process protein because we do need the protein, but we can find plant protein that is easier for our bodies to process and it causes less of an acidic environment in the body. Yeah. We don't have as much of certain chemicals and certain um, acids in the body. And most importantly, once the byproduct of the processing of that meat, uric acid and all kinds of other acids, the, the systems of a carnivore like your kitty at home mm -hmm. has the ability to process those and kind of like break them down. Their digestive systems are also a lot shorter so that that meat doesn't sit in their system for a very long time. They can excrete it and move on quicker as opposed to us humans, where we have a system, it takes us 18 to 24 hours to digest food from mm -hmm. mouth to anus. Mm -hmm. So we, that, that flesh sits in all kinds of different parts of our bodies wrecking havoc. And so what happens is that back in the day, maybe two or 300 years ago, we were eating meat in really small amounts. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really struggle with that as much. Now we're eating up to three times the amount of animal flesh that we need. And day after day, month after month, year after year, when we turn 40, we start struggling with, I don't know, gout. Yeah. and diabetes and all kinds of other things and eventually when we turn 50 we start struggling with cancer and heart disease and we're wondering why it's because we've actually gone through decades of abusing our system using foods that don't belong in our bodies yes yeah that that the image when i read it and you said that the because of the length of our intestines which you said are shorter than say a kitty cat uh, I mean, ours are longer yeah. than a kitty cat. Longer. Sorry, mm -hmm. I got that backwards. Um, but yeah, the length of the intestines can cause the flesh to linger in us longer than it should, leading to the retention of toxins, protein byproducts like ammonia or uric acid. Oh, my God. It just I was like picturing just rotting meat in my intestines. Anyway, that was that was that did it. <laughs> but, but so then my next question is, I mean, so I can see you on Zoom. Our, our listeners can't see you. But I mean, you have a very small frame. You're very trim. So I have I have had friends who have and I know you do your um, at this point. Are you vegetarian or are you vegan? Vegan. vegan. OK, so I've had friends who have gone to, uh, to transitioned into vegetarianism and, and veganism and they have gained weight. And I think you, you, the word you used in your book, you called it at one point you were a muffin vegetarian. <laughs> so <laughs> can you speak a little bit about what people need to be aware of so that you don't just go vegetarian and are eating like bread all day long? And then, of course, yeah. you would gain weight. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is why I always use in the book, I, I use plant based yeah. and whole foods quite a lot. Yeah. I, I do understand that the concept of veganism it causes people to, you know, kind of push back a little bit and, and that's understandable. But what I'm talking about is a whole foods, plant-based diet. And so I am not a big proselytizer. I believe that is a journey. Changing people's diets, it's almost akin to 
changing people's religions. Yeah. It's hard, right? <laughs> and it's, it's people fight it a lot. So what I'm talking about is, you know, you could be a vegan and have soda and French fries all day long. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the foods that grow in the ground. When you go to the supermarket, are you eating the rainbow? Do you see different colors in your cart? When you're cooking or, or putting a plate together, how many whole foods are they're lightly cooked or, or raw in nature so that you know you're getting enzymes and phytochemicals that your body absolutely need and will benefit from. So what that may mean to you is you might eat 80% vegetarian or 80% vegan because you're not ready to give up your cheese mm-hmm. or your fish. And that's okay. It takes time. While you actually embrace more whole foods, educate yourself, read a book, watch a documentary and get excited about trying new things. And you'll notice how you will organically gravitate to more whole foods. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned, since we're still talking about plant-based diet, um, that I, while I was reading the book, I stopped and I downloaded this app. You recommend healthy tracker apps. One of the ones that you specifically recommend is called Daily Dozen. So I've been using that this week and it's been really fun. It feels like a game, like to get the little check boxes that, yes, you've had three cups of leafy greens and one half cup of berries. And so anything you want to say about that? Because that to me made it fun. Like I now take my little daily dozen at least this week to my co-op and make sure that I'm getting at least something from each of those dozen little items. So good. Yeah, this is uh, a, a nonprofit. I believe it's called uh, Nutrition. Uh, don't, don't quote me. I can't remember the <laughs> name of it. But the, it's Dr. Gregor. He's the author of How Not to Die. This thing is a Bible. Yeah. And he created, he goes all around the country uh, educating people on how to eat, including more plants. Mm-hmm. And so this particular app is really great because it helps us start educating ourselves and so our subconscious mind starts to recognize hmm I am not I've been eating the same type of foods every single day the vast majority of us of us eat five or six foods and we repeat it every single day but there's so many alternatives out there especially if you live in a rich country like the United States you you are leaving behind the opportunity of eating so many yummy great for you stuff and this app will help you start recognizing oh I I need to do a little bit more yes yes so the app again just if you're listening you're like oh I want to download that it's called daily dozen Anyway, I found that to be fun. (laughs) So I know we have probably about five minutes left, and I know we've got many other topics. I've got an outline a mile long that I can draw from, but I'm just curious from where you sit, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we touch on today? I would say oils and the use of oils to help us heal. And the reason for that is because to me is one of the easiest ways to introduce somebody that's new to the concept of wellness, mm-hmm. how to utilize some of these things, let's say, to help us get whatever we need to get to. And mm-hmm. what I'm talking about is when we're talking about oils, we're talking about base oils. So we're talk- we could be talking about coconut oil or sesame oil. So mm-hmm. coconut is normally used in the summertime because it's cooling. Sesame is used in the wintertime because it's warming. Mm-hmm. Those are considered base oils. And what that means is that you can use them as a base for your 
medicine for your soaps, for your moisturizer. And then there are other specific oils that might be considered either concentrated oils or essential oils. They're concentrated in nature. They tend to come in little bottles. They tend to be more expensive, but you can then infuse those base oils with those little essential oils mm -hmm. to carry the medicine from the essential oils into your body through your skin. Yes. Understanding that your skin is your second stomach. Yeah. And it is 20% of what goes out on in your body goes on through your skin. Yes. And what was it? Is it either Ayurveda or Chinese medicine? That was another thing that I learned. Uh, they call it the second kidney or the, the second third. kidney. That's traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, that blew my mind when I first started seeing a functional medicine doctor here in the Seattle area and we were going through my lifestyle choices. And she just said, when it comes to your skin, do not put anything on your skin that you wouldn't drink. And I was like, what? Yeah. She goes, yeah, it ends up in the same place. <laughs> what? It does. It truly does. And it is, it's the largest elimination organ. Yeah. So it, a lot of things come in and a lot of things go out. And that's the reason why I included heat in the same chapter is because the concept of using saunas and steam rooms, again, every culture in the world yeah. has used them. And imagine how amazing it is. You put some oils on your skin and then you get in the sauna, either before or after the sauna. And so you're not only getting the goodness of all these medicines, mm -hmm. but you're also pushing toxins and chemicals that don't belong in your body out of you. Yes. And, and I will just say one of, I know since we're getting close on time, one of the little takeaways um, that I think when I say little, I mean, it's something that's simple and easy that someone could implement this afternoon if they wanted to was taking one of those carrier oils that you mentioned putting a few drops of whatever your favorite is and, and massaging the feet. Can you say a little bit about that Ayurvedic practice? Yeah, at nighttime, especially. Uh, and again, wintertime, you want to use an oil that is warming in nature and grounding. Mm -hmm. And summertime, you want to use something cooling. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, you just put about the equivalent of the size of a, of a, uh, a dime mm -hmm. in your the palm of your hand and then a few drops of your favorite essential oil then you rub your feet and you massage your feet as you recite either your favorite prayer or mantra or song or something that you know is going to nourish your soul then you put some socks on and you get to bed yes yeah and I think it's such a beautiful practice to show gratitude for that part of the body that's often forgotten that carries us through every single day. So, so true. So you get the benefits of the oils, you get the benefit of the gratitude, you get the benefit of the spiritual connection. It does it all. You're all well. You're just yeah, what an amazing thing. Absolutely. Well, we are coming to the end of our hour. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you. So I have been joined today by Jovanka Ciaris, um, and the website is jovankaciaris.com. That is J-O-V-A-N-K-A, last name, C-I-A-R-E-S. The book is Reclaiming Wellness. Um, Jovanka, thank you so much for having been here with us today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So for everyone else out there, I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Implement some of these wellness concepts. Get the book Reclaiming Wellness. And this is Sunny Joy, your host, signing off for Sunny in Seattle. See you next week. <laughs>